is all sitting comfortably. Then I'm going to begin by telling you a story. And it's a story about four people called everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done in the church, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. But everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when actually nobody had asked anybody. <laughs> well, it's not going to be a sermon about church rotors tonight, I'm glad to say. But have you actually asked somebody to do something for you and had a response with excuses? And I know parents are going to immediately jump to this and say, yes, children, they forever do it. Sometimes we obey without hesitation and without question. Perhaps when a policeman is directing traffic and he puts his hand up to you, you stop, don't you? You'd be foolish to carry on. Sometimes we obey out of duty, like husbands putting out the rubbish for our wives, perhaps. So why then, when the God of the universe, the Lord over all, asks us to do something, we sometimes hesitate, question, come up with a load of excuses on why we shouldn't, couldn't, or, or wouldn't? Well, it's sad to say, but uh, we are in good company tonight. Because when God called Moses, he came up with a list of excuses. And tonight we're going to have a look at those excuses because, surprise, surprise, they are very similar to the ones we use today. But before we do the reading, I want to put this into context. You may remember that Joseph, and then later his brothers and families, moved to Egypt during a time of famine. But generations later, when their numbers had grown so big, the Pharaoh ordered all their descendants into slavery, and that all male babies were to be killed. Now Moses was born to Amran and Jochebed, a Levite family. And after about three months, they could no longer conceal him. So Jochebed set him adrift in a reed basket on the river Nile, rather than letting him be discovered and killed. He was found by the Pharaoh's daughter and ad adopted and brought up as a prince. Years later, this privileged upbringing came to an abrupt end when Moses saw an Egyptian beating one of the Israelites and he got so incensed by this unfairness that he intervened and unfortunately killed the Egyptian. He fled Egypt because he knew that he would be sentenced to death and he settled in Midian where he met a nice shepherdess next to a well called Zipporah. And then he married into the family business and served his father-in-law as a shepherd for 40 years. So this is the context. So now we're going to read. And I'm using the message tonight. Not that I'm a fan of American twang, but the conversation that Eugene Peterson puts in here, I think, fits it up nicely. So we're going to read from Exodus 3, 1 to 15. And then we're going to skip down, for time's sake, to 4, 1 to 17. Because the print's small. I need aids. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire blazing out of the middle of the bush. He looked, 
The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Moses said, what's going on here? I can't believe this. It's amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? God saw that he had stopped to look, and God called him from out of the bush. Moses, Moses. He said, yes, I'm right here. God said, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. God said, I have taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I've come down to help them, pry them loose from the grip, to, grip of Egypt. Get them out of that country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces. A land lush with milk and honey. The land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hevite and the Jebusite. The Israelite cry for help has come to me. And I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered, Why me? What makes you think I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I will be with you, God said, and this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, Suppose, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your fathers sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God continued with Moses, this is what you ought to say to the Israelites. God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This has always been my name. And this is how I will always be known. Moving on to chapter 4. Moses objected. They won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say, God, appear to him. Hardly. So God said, what's in your hand? A staff. Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it. It became a snake. Moses jumped back fast. God said to Moses, reach out and grab it by the tail. He reached out and grabbed it, and he was holding his staff again. That's so they will trust that God appeared to you, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God then said, put your hand inside your shirt. He slipped his hand under his shirt, then took it out. His hand had turned leprous like snow. He said, put your hand back under your shirt. He did it then took it back out, as healthy as before. So if they don't trust you and aren't convinced by the first sign, the second sign should do it. But if it doesn't, even after those, these two signs, they don't trust you and listen to your message, take some water out of the Nile and pour it on the dry land. The Nile water that you pour out will turn to blood when it hits the ground. Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? 
And who makes the mute? Some deaf, some sighted, some blind. Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. He said, oh, Master, please, send somebody else. God got angry with Moses. Don't you have a brother, Aaron the Levite? He's good with words. I know he is. He speaks very well. In fact, at this very moment, he's on his way to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad. You'll speak to him and tell him what to say, and I'll be there right with you as you speak, and with him as he speaks, teaching you step by step. He will speak to the people for you. He'll act as your mouth, but you'll decide what comes out of it. Now take this staff in your hand. You'll use it to do the signs. And may God add his blessing to the reading of the word. <coughs> if I were in Moses' shoes, or sandals, or bare feet, I would be encouraged to hear that God was, what God was going to do about the oppression and suffering of the Israelites in Egypt. But I would break out into a cold sweat when I heard him say, so I'm sending you. What? Where did that come from? Lord, your plan was great until that last bit about sending me. Do you know, these are the same thoughts that countless Christians use today when God calls them to do something. Perhaps not to save a nation, but something smaller, but no less important to the kingdom, such as to talk to a neighbor, to pray with a friend, or to step out in a new ministry. Just as Moses came up with a list of excuses, we also think of reasons why we can't do what God is calling us to do. Well, just as God responded to Moses, he's also responding to us today. For when he calls us to do something, he always provides us with what is needed to perform the task that he gives us. So let's examine these excuses and let's see what we can learn from them. Excuse number one, I'm not qualified. God gave instructions to Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses' response to this calling was to say, who am I? Remember, he'd been brought up as uh, an Egyptian prince. He'd been educated. He knew all about their culture. So he thought, Pharaoh is not going to accept a 60-ish-year-old shepherd who's going to come before him and ask to free the Israelites. He was not a diplomat. He wasn't trained in negotiation. He wasn't qualified. And you know, this is one of the most popular excuses I've heard why people will not attempt to do things for God. They believe, incorrectly, that they need to study and be at theological college and get a degree or something in order to minister. Well, that may be the case for the role of pastor, but in the Baptist denomination, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And that is to say that we all have a part to play in the mission and ministry of the church. And I hate to say this, but when Jesus gave us the great commission to go out over all over the world, we are his last hope. There is no backup plan. The church is it. It's down to you and I. 
But it's also comforting to know that God uses people who have all sorts of shortfalls. Here's just a list. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was, was just too rich. Jesus didn't have any money. Abraham was too old, and David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. Oh, and so was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was a depressive. Elijah was burnt out. Martha was a worrier. Her sister may have been lazy. Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk. Did I mention that Moses had a short fuse? Well, so did Peter and Paul and, well, lots of people. I think you get the idea. I'm sorry to say that none of us are perfect and we are all living under grace. But it's not about us and who we are. Anyway, if God can use Balaam's ass, he can use anyone. Check out Numbers 22 for an interesting story. All this to say that God's ministry doesn't depend on our qualifications, just our obedience. Excuse number two, I lack knowledge. God had commanded Moses to talk to the children of Israel and to tell them that God had told him to, in regard to the deliverance out of Egypt. Moses pleaded lack of knowledge in that he didn't even know God's name and what to tell the Israelites. One thing I've learned in 35 years of faith is that God tends to be a little frugal with details when it comes to his plans. You see, we tend to get one piece of the jigsaw, but God sees the whole picture. He will tell you your next step in the journey, but we like to know the destination before we start, don't we? In all those years, there is not one instance I can recall when God has told me the whole story before I started. However, he has this uncanny knack of telling you just what you need at the time you need it. I believe it's called the need-to-know basis. And of course, we can do a lot by, we can learn a lot by reading God's word. And we should because it is the foundation of our faith and our ministry and full of useful information on life and how to live it for the glory of God. But there will be times when we will be in a situation which we feel ill-prepared for. But if God put you in that situation, he will also provide you with what you need to do his will. I have a memory like a sieve. Can't remember names, can't remember places, can't remember the sermon half the time. But it's surprising, although it shouldn't be, how the Holy Spirit can bring things to mind just when you need it. We don't, we don't need to be able to argue Christian doctrine with philosophers or know how to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And do you know why? It's because God's ministry doesn't depend on our knowledge, just our obedience. You can see a theme running through this, can't you? Excuse number three. I don't believe I can. Moses' third excuse to God was that he did not believe he had the power to fulfill 
the calling that God had told him to do. God had given him the words, but he didn't believe that the people would believe his message. Sometimes we won't step out of the boat because we fear we're going to get wet. We fear that we may fail. But God doesn't send people out to fail. He's already prepared the ground. He has already put his kingdom power in motion to complete what he is sending you to do. He just wants you to play a part in it. Now I know some will say, why doesn't he use his sovereign power without me? It's because he wants you to share in the experience of his power in action. He wants you to be part of that miraculous ministry that he's called you to do. He wants you to grow in the knowledge that he is faithful. He's not some sadistic father that sets us up for a fall and then laughs at us. A young boy came to his father and said, Dad, I understand what the Bible means. And his father, quite taken back, says, What do you mean what the Bible means? His son replied, It means basic instructions before leaving earth. And you know it is. And we learn a lot about God by reading it. But I also believe that God wants us to share in his ministry so we can learn far more of him firsthand. Far more of his sovereign power, of his unconditional love before we leave earth. To help us to see people through his eyes. To feel the hurt his people are going through. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I feel that we renew our mind when we step out with God and see his miraculous power. And one of the most important and liberating things to remember when God asks us to do something is that the results are not our responsibility. It is God's ministry. It's his will. It's his work. All he calls us to do is to be part of it. We don't heal people. We don't bring people to faith. We don't raise the dead or turn staffs into snakes. It's God that does that through the power of his Holy Spirit. But he wants us to be a part of what, he, what he's doing. And you may remember Jesus' words in John 5.19 when he says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So when God calls us to do something, whether it's talking to someone, praying with someone, or to walk on water, remember that God's ministry doesn't depend on our strength, just our obedience. Excuse number four. I don't have the skill. Moses' fourth excuse to God was that his speaking and leadership abilities were lacking. Leading the people of Israel could not be his calling because he was not of eloquent speech, nor of a quick tongue. Now I can relate to that because I too have a speech impediment. And just like Jonathan Ross, I hate words like Ferrero Rocher. And so to stand up in front of a bunch of people and preach waiting to stumble on any word with an R in it, can be rather daunting. But you know what? I'm amongst Christian friends, 
who would not laugh at my impediment or mock me, would you? No. But would just overflow with the love of Jesus in my weakness. So what have I to fear? Peter was a fisherman by trade, not academically educated. And yet he stood up in Jerusalem and preached a sermon that led to about 3,000 people responding and being baptized. He didn't prepare it. He didn't have it printed out to read. He just felt God and the Holy Spirit prompting him to get up and to talk. And the reward for his obedience was that God showed up and did his stuff. And Peter was part of it. Absolutely amazing. We tend to look at our weaknesses as reasons why we cannot do what God wants of us. And as usual, God turns our thinking upside down. Because God's ministry doesn't depend on our abilities, just our obedience. There's a, a story about a church going through an interregnum. And the moderator had put before the leadership profile after profile of good candidates. But the leadership kept on rejecting them, each one. So in frustration, the moderator stood up and read out this letter. Gentlemen, understanding your pulpit is vacant, I should like to apply for the position. I have many qualifications. I've been a preacher with much success and also ha had some success as a writer. Some say I'm a good organiser. I've been a leader most places uh, I've been. I didn't need my glasses in this. I'm over 50 years of age and have never preached in one place for more than three years. In some places, I've left town after my work caused riots and disturbances. I must admit, I've been in jail three or four times, but not because of any particular wrongdoing. My health isn't too good, though I still accomplish a great deal. The churches where I have preached have been small, though located in large cities. I've not gone on well with religious leaders in the towns where I've preached. In fact, some have threatened me and attacked me physically. However, if you can use me, I promise to do my best. Well, after the deacons picked themselves off the floor from laughing, said, who's got the cheek to write such a thing? Who was going to go come and say they're going to be a pastor based on those qualifications? And the moderator just said, it's signed, the Apostle Paul. Moving on to the final one, excuse number five. I don't want to. After all the excuses Moses came up with, this is probably his weakest. I don't want to do it. Send someone else. And I have to confess that <coughs> on occasion, I've also answered God's calling with this excuse, and I have to say some fear and trepidation. And that is because I know that there is no reason to say no to God. But my mind comes up with all sorts of human things like, what if I fail? What if I make a fool of myself? What if God doesn't show up and do his bit? What if it wasn't God I heard? God doesn't fail. He doesn't make a fool of the children. And in all my experiences, when God has sent me to do something, he has always shown up. He has been in the conversation and spoken into the situation. He has surrounded the hurting and the vulnerable with his comfort, his love and his peace. 
He has brought healing to physical, psychological, and spiritual. He has restored relationships with others and with himself. As for being sure you heard him, I found that the more and more you step out upon his prompting, the more you become attuned to it. Yes, occasionally you may mishear him, but if you are humble about it, God will always get the glory. It is better to have tried and failed occasionally than never to have tried at all. Trust him. He is faithful and does not let you down. Now I'm going to give a shameless book plug here. Uh, our fellowship group has been going through this wholly available, written by Gary Thomas. Um, it's an excellent book. I have to say, holiness is part of discipleship I've probably struggled with the most. Because trying to get your head around what it's all about. But this book is an excellent read. I just want to read to you an extract from this chapter on hands and feet used by God. I can't tell you how many times I've stood in front of a group feeling tired or sick or defeated and then watched in awe as God's spirit literally carried them through the day or evening. Self-empowered ministry is so limiting. We're rarely at our best, fully rested, fully prepared, highly energetic, feeling strong. Usually something niggles at us that we will hold back natural-based ministry. A sinus headache, insomnia, family concerns, an overly busy schedule, nervous anxiety, financial problems, you name it. But when ministry flows out of God's reliance, when our service issues from supernatural dependence, then a full night of sleep, a clear head, or even a clear conscience matters far less than allowing God to do what he does best, namely glorify his name through us. How do we open ourselves up to this kind of ministry? You'll have to buy the book and find out. The biggest reason I've learned from the excuse I don't want to is that when I'm obedient, the blessing of being part of what God is doing is so overwhelming that you wonder why you made such a big fuss in the first place. Because God's ministry depends on your obedience. So as we close tonight, perhaps God is calling you to do something right now. And up to now, you've responded with excuses. Well, then he's giving you another chance to be obedient and take part in what he has for you. Perhaps God is asking you to talk to that person that he has laid on your heart. Perhaps it's to offer to pray with that friend who's going through difficulties at the moment. Perhaps it's to share something of your faith with that most obnoxious person that God has put in your mission field. If it's any of these things, or others, remember that it's not down to our qualifications, not down to our knowledge, not down to our strength, or our abilities. God wants to use you right now. Because in his eyes, you are ready. And through him, are able. But are you willing? The band's going to come up and lead us as we sing a response. King of Kings, Majesty. Now I'll just ask you to consider the words, especially in the chorus, of all that he's done for us. And he's promised to be faithful to us. How can we not respond in not 
being obedient to him.